Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Emily's Book Club. For listeners who have stumbled upon this podcast, my name is Emily Burgess, and I'm an 18-year-old high school senior based in upstate New York. When I'm not doing schoolwork or dancing ballet, I love to read books, so this podcast is a wonderful excuse for me to talk about something I love with people I love. In a world where Instagram feeds and Twitter wars take up an increasing percentage of daily conversation, I still find tremendous value in discussing books with my friends, family, and peers, and am beyond enthusiastic to share some of these discussions over the next few weeks. New episodes will be released every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, and each will feature at least one special guest to talk about a novel or anthology. On today's episode, my good friend Bridget Nielasager and I will be discussing J.D. Salinger's Franny and Zoe. The book consists of a short story titled Franny, and a novella titled Zoe. Franny and Zoe are the two youngest siblings of the Glass family, a fictitious family of nine that Salinger wrote about in many short stories, including Nine Stories, Raise High the Roof Beam, Carpenters and Seymour, An Introduction, and of course, Franny and Zoe. In the short story, Franny, that begins this collection, Franny Glass shares a meal with her boyfriend, Lane, while visiting him at college. Over the course of the meal, Franny becomes exasperated with Lane's academic tales and the minutia of the life that she is expected to live. And these frustrations ultimately lead her to feel ill. The night concludes with Franny's fainting and her return to her hotel room, where she feverishly prays the Jesus prayer that is featured in a book she is reading called The Way of a Pilgrim and is meant to be recited without ceasing. The novella, Zoe, picks up shortly after the ending of Franny. Told mainly through dialogue, the novella shares Zachary's, who is better known as Zoe's, attempting to help his sister out of her mental breakdown. While I readily acknowledge that the joy of surprise is essential to the reading experience, I cannot guarantee that there will not be spoilers from this point of the episode on. If you are so inclined, feel free to pause here, read the book, and cycle back later. Without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce this episode's guest, Bridget Nielisager. Bridget, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Hi, I'm so good. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. I'm feeling a little tired from my second dose of the vaccine, but I'm happy to know that the antibodies are flowing through my system. <laughs> um, before we begin, I just want to say a quick shout out to my cello teacher, Will Hayes, for helping me film the intro song. You can find him on Instagram at will.cellist. So he's insanely talented and I'm very lucky to learn from him. That's amazing. (laughs) Okay, so let's get right into it. Before we really jump into the specifics of the plot, I had a few general questions I wanted to ask. To fill in the listeners, about a month ago, Bridget lent me her copy of Franny and Zoe, advertising it as one of her favorite books. Bridget, what I want to know is what about this book makes it one of your favorites and why you think that you were so drawn to it? I really, really love books that don't have plots. Um, my favorite book ever is A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And that book is, you know, like, what, 350 pages of no plot. And this is the, pretty much the same thing. Just a, like, realistic, like, sort of showing, like, the monotony of life during, especially during, you know, a specific time period. I really like books about the past. I'm not that into books about, like, that are set 
now, except for All Girls by Emily Layden. But, um, um, and I really love the sort of details, like in Zoe, when Buddy did, like just lists everything that was in their um, like medicine cabinet. Mm-hmm. And I personally, I really relate to Franny in some ways and not really in others. I think her dramatics and stuff, I really see a lot of me in that. And also just sort of like, I don't know, like an, her individuality complex, which you can say for Zoe as well. Like I definitely, there have been moments in my life, especially at the beginning of high school where I was like, no one understands me. I'm the only one who thinks this way and stuff. And it also, cause I read this book for the first time last summer mm-hmm. and it, it made me view religion in a different light. Cause I'm definitely like on my own spirituality journey, which I know we'll touch on later, but I don't know. I don't think I've ever really read a book that talks about like all sort of many different types of religion so candidly. Yeah. And I had, I was in a, like a very committed relationship when I first read the book and since rereading it, um, not in a committed relationship anymore. It definitely, I definitely saw aspects of myself and my ex partner in uh, the short story Franny. Yeah, that's that's really interesting about um, Lane and Franny, right? Like, I didn't even think about that, that, that you would see aspects of your relationship within that dynamic. So yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it was never, like, as toxic as they are, but just some of the sort of inner thoughts and stuff, I think, is something that can definitely apply to at least myself. Yeah, what do you think makes the relationship between Franny and Lane so toxic like that it Franny is a pretty short story but it's very easy to pick on pick up on that dynamic between the two of them and obviously relationships are so complex that there's no one single issue that you could pick out and be like that's the problem but if you had to try like what are some of the standout issues that you think make their relationship so difficult I think with the both of them you know in the letter she's professing her love again and again and again and then when and then as soon as she gets off the train she's like did you get my letter and then she's and then she's like well I didn't really mean anything and then like 20 pages later he's like oh I forgot to say I love you and not even just that but like when she doesn't she's not interested in having conversations with him and he's not particularly interested in having conversations with her when I when I read it I read it um last I read it again last night after you dropped it off just to freshen up I uh, yeah I think this book is best read in one sitting personally um that's just my recommendation if you do choose to read it after future listeners take it up it's 200 pages it's a it's a generally quick read um in my opinion but um God, I lost my train of thought. You're talking about Franny and Lane. Yeah, Franny and Lane. But, oh, you know, Lane would sort of go on a tangent and then Franny would be like, okay, can I have your olive? And then (laughs) Lane would do the same thing to Franny where he wasn't really truly listening to her. And I just, I don't, I don't think that that's the thing. I think on paper, you know, they sort of saw each other as this perfect match, like with Lane talking about 
her her jacket and you know they're they're both attractive people who are intellectuals and they're in the correct you know socio socioeconomic bracket but I think just it boils down to like their personalities what they're looking for and also just like Lane's lack of empathy when Franny's obviously like having like an emotional breakdown yeah I think that's really interesting um your point there about how with relationships I sometimes think that we make them more important or more emotional in our heads and then you're kind of let down with your actual experiences with the people especially when you haven't seen someone for so long because that first scene when they reunite in the train station that does not live up to their future interactions like when they're at the restaurant and they're not really listening to what the other person has to say at all like it really sets up you think it's going to be some beautiful emotional connection throughout their weekend together and that's just not what transpires so that's really interesting the dichotomy between things that we expect will happen with those that we love and what actually does. I agree. Yeah. So personally, one of the most interesting parts of the entire collection was the quasi interlude between the stories of Franny and Zoe. That's narrated by their older brother, Buddy, who sidebar is believed to be an alter ego of J.D. Salinger himself. Within that introduction on page 49 for Bridget and any listeners following along their copy of the book, Buddy shares that somewhere in the Great Gatsby, which was my Tom Sawyer when I was 12, the youthful narrator remarks that everyone suspects himself of having at least one of the cardinal virtues. And he goes on to say that he thinks his, bless his heart, is honesty. Mine, I think, is that I know the difference between a mystical story and a love story. I say that my current offering isn't a mystical story or a religiously mystifying story at all. I say that it's a compound or multiple love story, pure and complicated, end quote. To use the typical English teacher line, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> First off, do you think that, do you agree with this assessment of the story, that it's a compound love story and not a religiously mystifying one? And are those two types of stories exclusive? Um... I do agree with Buddy. I think that it is sort of a familial love story. And, you know, you're able to see that, like, throughout in, like, many different little tidbits. Um, You know, the Glass children are the only ones who are able to truly understand each other on a deeper level at face value. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Especially between Franny and Zoe. Yeah. Um... They aren't a very affectionate family, like probably due to their upbringing, but they show love in a very, very like different way, like Zoe's rant about religion. And I I don't think that the two have to be exclusive. I think that this is both a love story and a story that talks like very deeply about religion because I feel like, especially like in the time that it was set, religion was such an important important part of every single person's life at least like every single person living in this sort of environment and I think because they're able to have like Franny and Zoe are able to speak about religion so again candidly and it's almost a way of showing love like for all of the glass children like just having very like deeply intellectual conversations with each other 
because they're unable to feel fulfilled by having conversations with really anyone else. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I, I agree that they're not exclusive. And, you know, I read the book and then I cycled back to this part and reevaluated the mystical story versus love story. And I really do think that it is a religiously mystifying story because throughout the book, I was like, hmm, where do I get my religion? Like, where do my religious beliefs like affect my life? And it caused me to reevaluate the role religion has on my life. So I definitely think that you can't write off the role of religion in this story. But I also agree that it's a love story. Um, I think like Zoe's trying so hard to get to Franny, like he talks to her in person and then he even impersonates Buddy to try and like get to her that way. Um, and you don't do that for someone that you don't love. So I think both are at play here. Okay. So a lot of the novella is focused on reading. It includes two fully encrypted letters, plenty of quotes from classical literature, and of course, Franny's mental decline is aided by the book, The Way of the Pilgrim. It is also obvious that the glasses are a highly intellectual family. The children were all featured on a radio show called It's a Wise Child, and their precociousness practically leaps off of the pages. What role do you think this intellectualism and focus on knowledge had in Franny's problem, if any? I think that college is almost the first time when she doesn't feel intellectually challenged or she doesn't feel because I feel like her siblings are the only people like Zoe in particular are the only people who can make her feel bad like you see that especially in sort of the ending pages where Zoe is telling her he's encouraging her to like continue acting or at least saying like I thought you did a good job and Franny's unable to find people who can sort of match that at school you know she like finds everyone to be exactly the same to be following the sort of cookie cutter type mm -hmm. including Lane and his friends um and perhaps like this was probably like why Zoe didn't want to go to grad school or is hesitant to why Seymour finished school so early and why Buddy like overbooks himself completely I feel like they all of them are just trying to chase or to avoid the lack of stimulation. So they're chasing something, they're always chasing something more. And I feel like throughout the book, everyone is just sort of looking back to the past and wishing like it was like the golden days, the good old days of like when everyone was together. Um, and also the fact that she took a pilgrim's journey from Seymour. Um, and I, uh, this is my own little theory, but I I think that Seymour and Buddy are Franny and Zoe's religion. In like similarly to the Pilgrim story, you know, I, like the things that Seymour and Buddy taught Franny and Zoe have become so ingrained. Like the the four things that they say before they eat, um, the fat lady. It's like it's just innate for them to sort of include what they were taught into every everyday life like it's like their heartbeat um mm. I think that that's super interesting and I don't think that you know that's not a very common thing to be taught by your brothers who are both geniuses in their own right um I think that Franny's issue comes from the fact that 
she feels so lost. And again, like after, after starting this sort of journey in her like religious expression, she goes back, she goes back home and just wants to lie there and only gets up to speak with Buddy, you know? I just think it's interesting. To go back and entertain your theory, are you saying that you think Seymour and Buddy are the physical embodiments of Franny and Zoe's religion? Or I think, I think that ahead. what they taught them is like their religion. Or yeah, could be. yeah. I, I, I agree with that theory. And I think um, Zoe definitely has a lot of frustration. I, like, I think at one point in the book, he says, like, they messed us up, you know? And um, this is kind of going into the next question I had, but it definitely comes from the thing where, like, you don't really have autonomy over how you gain your religious beliefs. Like you, that it kind of just happens and it depends on who your family is, where you live, um, where you go to school. So I think that frustration is all throughout the book. And it's, that was something really interesting to me because religion has always been such a big part of my life. Um, but one last thing on this intellectualism aspect, I think that or I found in my own experiences that with intellectualism and focus on knowledge comes huge ego. Like you want the answers and you want everything to be figured out. Um, So I think it's really easy for Franny to get lost within that. And I felt lost within that sometimes. And that's something that I really related to when reading the book is like, um, you're, when you're, a highly intellectual person you're kind of expected to have all the answers and when you don't you feel like a failure and that can cause you to shut down which I think is what happened to Franny and religion is kind of the perfect thing for that because that's what people t- turn to when they don't have answers um, and I've obviously found religion incredibly helpful in my life but I also try to walk the line between like I don't want to say relying on it too much, but not holding myself accountable because of religion. Like that's always been a thing with me is like, if you leave everything up to God's plan, are you leaving anything up for yourself? You know? And I think that's what happened to Franny. Like she's sitting there praying all day and life is passing her by. Um, so that was a really interesting thing for me to read about because I definitely saw a little bit of myself within that. So, religion is a major theme in both the short story and the novella. Family is typically the main source of religion, and Franny and Zoe, who receive their religious information and therefore belief system from their older brothers Seymour and Buddy, are no exception. I too inherited my religion of Roman Catholicism from my family, and thus read the book through that lens. I know that you, Bridget, identify as an agnostic, and I was wondering if that affected your interpretation of the book, and if so, how? Um, I grew up attending Irish Catholic masses and it's funny because I would, every single Sunday I would go to mass and then I would go to religion school up until like the age of nine. And then in the afternoon, I would spend it with my dad who he was not a practicing Buddhist or Taoist, but he, he like in a lot of the stuff that he sort of, like he sort of inherently taught me, there was a lot of Buddhism and Taoism integrated into that. Like just emphasizing the fact that nothing is permanent, you know, balance, being 
not being one with nature, but just appreciating nature for what it is. And I think um, sort of those two uh, sort of opposite sides of the spectrum when you're, when you're talking about somewhat like actual like spirituality, I think it's made me sort of a realist because I was able, not that people who are, who subscribe to like one specific type of realism of, of religion aren't able to realize the bad things about that religion, but I think I sort of would nitpick. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that because of that, I read this book and I, it's another way where I was able to relate to Franny because I don't, again, subscribe to one specific religion and it leads me to not feel lost. I know in the past year, I've definitely explored spirituality more and started to appreciate it more because I've always been an agnostic. I've do believe in a higher being but I've never really put anything behind that mm -hmm. and I think this book it sort of it not only gave me like inspiration because I think Franny and Zoe were taught like religion from so many different viewpoints because of um not only like but Buddy and Seymour but also because you know their parents are Irish Catholic and Jewish so I think when I read this book for the first time, especially, I was like, wow, uh, <laughs> this is like, A, a lot. Like I had to really do a bit of like research. I always had my phone beside me, but also um, I feel like, especially a few years ago, I was, I was, I had a tendency to be critical of people who were overtly religious. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, it forced me to realize like, a, it's none of my business, but B, it's like, this is something that is so important to some people. And I think that, you know, it's so important to strengthen your connection with, with God, with Yahweh, with whomever and whatever is beyond if you are a spiritual person, because I had never done that before yeah. this year. And not that this book was the catalyst, but I think it definitely nudged me along. And upon rereading I found that like I not that I'm proud of myself but I found that I was able to relate to Zoe a bit more saying oh my god Franny you're like you're being so ignorant you're not not researching because I'm sure she understands but you're not putting any weight behind the things that you are choosing to believe in which I think is very important so yeah yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things I could say in response. And I feel like, yes, um, the, the, gla <laughs> the glass parents, I think, are more like the Western religions. Yeah. But the religion that Buddy and Seymour pass on to Franny and Zoe also has some aspects of like Zen Buddhism. And it's very much a conglomeration of like all of the religions, which I think is interesting. But um a point that I found really interesting in the book is when Zoe says to Franny something along the lines of like, if you need to tell yourself that you are acting for God to act, just do it. And I think that that's a really important idea that God should be a motivator as much as a comforter. Um, and that was, that was like a big thing for me. I thought that was a really good point because Franny had been like, looking to God for comfort, but she also should have been looking 
to him for motivation. Definitely. Um, so despite Brandy's deep crisis over her sense of self in relation to religion, I'm not sure that there's an alternative to her gaining her religious beliefs. I often think about that in the context of my own life and whether or not I would find my faith if my family had not introduced it to me first. Do you think that there is an alternative for Franny, for myself, and for all out there to gaining religious beliefs? And if so, what is it? I feel like to a certain extent, religion is a choice. Like for, you, you can't generalize, but for, I feel a lot of people that we're surrounded by, like you have made a conscious choice to to practice your faith and to be so be so faithful and put so much of your time and energy into, you know, being with God and learning about religion and stuff. So, you know, it has to be a conscious choice. I don't, like, I feel like for Franny, you can argue that she's doing this to feel closer to Seymour or she's just doing this to, to challenge herself because I feel like she may not feel very fulfilled and is again looking for religion looking towards religion and looking towards god for that fulfillment which is not something that he could give if yeah. she's not willing to put in the work um you know i just think doing your research trusting people i always was hesitant to be religious because i personally like i could never stand with a specific religion because of sort of what religion has turned into it has it's not just about your relationship with yourself and the higher power it's like this whole institution and that's why like I personally will never fully identify with one religion over another but that doesn't mean that I can't respect other religions and take pieces from other religions that I personally see as as true in air quotes or as fact but yeah I think being respectful and doing introspection and talking with people who you trust and who you whose opinions you value especially like people who already have their own already have faith and yeah I just think that is what I'm saying yeah I mean this is completely tangential to my original question but what you say about the institutionalization of faith is something I think about pretty often especially with all the scandals within the Catholic Church like hypocrisy is very real and I think that for me I had to distinguish the faith and the institution. And I deeply subscribe to the Catholic faith um, while acknowledging that the Catholic, that the institution of the Catholic church has many issues. And that is upsetting, but also I feel like part of the, part of the thing about being a Catholic is knowing that no one is ever going to be perfect. And that is not a way to excuse institutions but I feel like it's a way for me to cope with it but going back to my question about Franny and like gaining religion I think that I mean I kind of knew the answer when I wrote the question 
um, I think, you know, people find religion very late in life. Like, it's never a done deal when you're born. It's like, oh, you're going to be Jewish. You're going to be Catholic and it's over. Um, I, but I, you know, it's kind of like your, your religion is always going to come from someone, someone else. Maybe you'll like meet a friend who takes you to a certain type of mass and you realize that that's the religion you want to subscribe to. And I think that that idea is so interesting to me that none of our personal belief systems will ever be fully original. And that is wild to me. (laughs) That's absolutely crazy. And I think that is enough cause for crisis because it's like, okay, then am I my own person or am I just a collection of the people that I've met in my life? And I still don't know the answer. (laughs) I think the latter. And I think that's a really beautiful thing personally. Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful and scary. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I don't know. So towards the beginning of Zoe, there's a lengthy interaction between Zoe and his mother in which Zoe is in the bathtub and his mother barges in to talk to him and refuses to leave. And this is what I thought of instantly when you were talking about like monotony. It's just this super long interaction between um, Zoe and Bessie, which I have found hilarious. <laughs> it's 47 pages long. Um, Bessie, which is the name of the mother for those unfamiliar with the Glass family, reappears in the book several more times. Besides offering relatable interactions between mother and child, she isn't really integral to the plot, and the story definitely could have gone on without her. Why do you think Bessie had as large of a role in the novella as she did? You know, with the plot of Zoe, it's just, it's basically Zoe just having conversations in different rooms. You could art, like, it's Zoe has a conversation in the bathroom, Zoe has a conversation in the living room, Zoe has a conversation in Seymour's bedroom. Um, But I think that Bessie puts the relationships of the Glass family into context Um, because she's definitely outside of the sibling bubble. And that is very clear. It's a very exclusive club. Um, She can't fully like relate to her children, but she understands them at such a deep level, which is like such a mom thing. And I think that her presence shows how large of an impact Seymour and Walt's deaths have had on the family. She's like constantly worrying about everyone, all of her siblings. And, you know, she brings a sense of practicality because these, like Franny and Zoe, and like especially in Franny, that sort of lifestyle is something that is so out of reach and so like like impossible to ever achieve or even fully understand and you know Bessie comes in 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 her kimono and is just talking about the most random things which is what I appreciate most especially about Salinger um I don't think he he writes women very well personally um but I I think that Bessie is such a beautiful character you can like I I love all of the italics that he uses throughout especially like her speech patterns because you can like hear her speaking and she is so funny and so real Mm -hmm. and I don't know it's it's sort of it's like hard to understand how all of the glass children became what they were when someone like that was raising them but I think that it just makes them caricatures and I just think it makes it even more amusing to me 
that was really interesting to me that the parents are like vaudeville performers and then they give birth to these genius children that are like known for their wisdom and precociousness um and i think that part of the reason why um, bessie had such a large role in the story is that um salinger frequent frequently wrote about all of these characters so it's kind of interwoven so it would have been weird i think without her but um that was really interesting to me and you are so right about the fact that bessie is aware that she is not part of the exclusive glass children club because she tells zoe to appeal to franny because she knows that she can't and she tries to get buddy but that doesn't exactly work out okay so the stories of franny and zoe occur chronologically after the suicide of the eponymous character's older brother seymour at the peak of her mental breakdown franny says to zoe quote i want to talk to seymour end quote despite his being dead to what extent do you think Seymour's suicide affects the plot of these stories, and why? I think his death is, like, is the driving force in the plot. I think, especially for Franny, like, the short story, that would, nothing like that would have happened. I think they were both, Franny and Zoe were deeply affected, and by his death, but were never consoled or really asked like are you okay like buddy said he he never checked in and you know seymour and buddy sort of gave franny and zoe their belief system and suddenly they have these two people especially for franny who like seymour died when she was 13 and then she didn't hear from her other brother who had taught her practically everything that she knew for over a year so there was definitely a big hole that was left in place of of the two of them. Again, going back to the fact that like the Pilgrim book, like that was Seymour's book, and she probably like Franny probably wanted to read it to not only feel close to him, but to just feel like she's still learning from him because she was in such a deficit in terms of like intellectual stimulation. Um, and I, if if that book had come from someone else, maybe she wouldn't have had such a breakdown. If that book had been a different book, maybe she wouldn't have had such, such a breakdown. But I think that um, I, not that Seymour was the glue that held the family together, but I do think that his lack of presence in their lives, especially for like in Bessie and Zoe's interactions, I don't think that they would have been so rude, especially coming from Zoe. I don't know. I just feel like the root of everything that happens in this story is because of Seymour's death. Buddy's letter probably wouldn't have been written. Buddy and Buddy would probably have been more of his own human being, which would have allowed Zoe to respect him more, you know? Mm-hmm. I just think that um, Seymour's death is a is a big part of this story, and I think that's what makes rereading it so much more interesting when you reread it, because you're able to really think about like what is happening in Franny and knowing that that book came from Seymour and her.
her not wanting to share it with Lane, which is kind of a, you know, it just shows how, A, how private they are, how mm-hmm. lonely they are, how unwilling and un- how unwilling they're, will- like, how unwilling they're being, they are about talking about his death, even to each other. Yeah. Especially at the end, like the fat lady. That is something that Zoe had never mentioned to Franny or vice versa. And that little thing, that little tidbit about Seymour that they had both experienced, it bring is a, a source of like such such joy for them, even if only for a moment, you know? I yeah. just think yeah. Yeah, I mean, I recently lost someone in my life and this person had given me a journal a couple years ago and written notes to me in the pages and when she passed I like slept with it under my pillow and that kind I very much related to Franny's like clinging to her religion as a way to get closer to Seymour because I think when we lose someone that's what we as humans do to cope is we try to cling on to what we have left of them in the memories and the ideas um, that they have given us as a way not to pretend like they're still there, but, you know, kind of to pretend that they're still there. Like, <laughs> to um, try and keep whatever relationship you had with that person going and, like, let the memory live on, which I think is exactly what um, Franny does and why she so closely guarded it from Lane and even from Zoe. Is that it's, like, the only personal um, artifacts you have left are from those people. All right. So I think that concludes our discussion for today. Thank you, Bridget, for your conversation, for your friendship, and for your undying spirit. And thank you, listeners, for tuning into the first episode. We got kind of heavy, but I (laughs) enjoyed all of the discussions about religion and death and family. Um, And check back on Saturday for my conversation with my personal icon and probably Bridges too, Emily, about her novel, (laughs) All Girls.